morning. If you have your Bible, open up to the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. This is a, uh, this is a big week for us in the, in the life of the church and uh, in the life of Jesus. Today is what is known as Palm Sunday, and it is the beginning of of the last week of Jesus' life on earth before His crucifixion. And so, uh, it's a very important week, not only in the life of Jesus, but in the life of us. And so I want to call your attention to something. As you leave this morning, you'll notice on the back table that there is something called Passion Week Readings. And we want to encourage you to pick one of those up, take it home with you this week, and maybe in your quiet time, or if you do a family devotional time, or if you just like to read before you go to bed or maybe before you begin your day, we want you to go through those and we've got it broken down Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Every event that happened to Jesus and involved Jesus throughout this last week, we've got it broken down so you can walk along with Him during the last week of His life. And we want to encourage you to do this. Uh, together, maybe spend some time in your life group looking at, at the, the, the readings for today, and then tomorrow begin doing those either on your own or, or with your family as we talk about this, this last week of Jesus' life that is all going to culminate in the resurrection. And that's what we'll be talking about Sunday as we celebrate the King, as we celebrate His resurrection that brought renewal and life and broke the bonds of sin and death in every single one of our lives. And it's going to be a, be a great day. And I'm looking forward to next Sunday as we, as we gather for a sunrise service, as we sing praises and we'll commune together, as we gather at 10 a.m. for our traditional worship service, and then as we gather just as the first century did in homes in the evening, and we share a meal together, and we share communion during that meal, just as they did in the first century. I think it's going to be a, uh, an incredible day. I pray that you are praying your way through these Scriptures and through this week as well. I'd be interested to hear uh, just some of your thoughts as we go through this week. But today is, as I've said a minute ago, today is Palm Sunday. It is also known as the triumphal entry when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem and His disciples through Palm branches on the ground and they took off their coats and they threw them on the ground for him to ride into town. But today we're talking about the visitation. Have you ever had a, a great opportunity and you missed it? It just went by you? Maybe it was a, a, a chance at a job promotion. Maybe you could have done something and you would have gotten a raise or maybe there was a, a, a potential investment that you could have made. Maybe you had the opportunity to, to move closer to home or closer to family, and for whatever reason, you didn't jump on it or you weren't sure about it or you didn't have enough faith to act on it and it passed you by. Anybody else besides me have an opportunity blow by them? Good. Because we've probably all had experiences like that. We have all had opportunities that have just gone right by us. I know that, that I have had those in my life where I look back and thought, man, if I would have just not been afraid. If I would have just stepped out on faith, if I would have just trusted God's leading instead of my leading, how different might that situation be and that opportunity, it went right by me. We all 
have those kinds of experiences. Uh, Mark Twain, Mark Twain says, uh, he says, I was seldom able to see an opportunity until it ceased to be one. Can you relate to that? Yeah, I think we can. And then someone else, I don't know who said it, but he said, opportunities are never lost. Someone will pick up the one that you missed. And that makes sense. It makes sense. If you have an opportunity and you don't take it, it's not like it just vanishes. Somebody else will take advantage of it. Yes or no? Absolutely. And 2,000 years ago, the Jews had one of the greatest opportunities. Jesus came into their world and He showed them how to live. He showed them how to, to walk out their daily life. And He came with an offer of peace and they completely, they completely missed it. Today as we start looking at Psalm or Palm Sunday, the day is, is filled with, with highs and lows. There is great celebration of Jesus and, and who He is, and the day is going to end with Jesus weeping over the city of Jerusalem. And as the, the chapter opens up, Jesus and His disciples are in the town of, of Jericho. As they're passing through Jericho, we read about one of the great stories in the Bible, one of the stories that we sing about, a, a wee little man by the name of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus climbs up to get a better view of Jesus. Jesus sees Zacchaeus and calls him out. But don't you love when somebody does that? When they point you out in the crowd, Donnie Nix, don't you love when people do that to you? I know that I do. Love that. Love when people call me out. But he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. And I can imagine what that was like for Zacchaeus, but he scurries down the tree and he goes to, goes to the house. And the end of the story is that salvation came to the house of Zacchaeus. And it's a great, great story. And then what Luke does is he takes a, another story, a, a parable, and he drops it in right between the story of Zacchaeus and right between the triumphal entry. And it sounds a little bit like the parable of the talent that we read about in Matthew 25. It's about a king who takes some of his servants and he tells them to go and, and succeed in business, but the difference is they end up rejecting him. They reject him as their king. Now then, Luke doesn't just drop that story in right there because he didn't have anywhere else to put it. He is, it is a literary device. He is setting up what is about to happen. He is foreshadowing what is fixing to take place in Jerusalem. And so, he's told this story and they are making their way out of Jericho. It says literally they are climbing up from Jericho. Jericho is the lowest spot in the world. And they are climbing up to Jerusalem. Verse 28, it's right after Jesus has, has uh, given them this parable. And he says, when he said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples, where he said to two of the disciples, go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. Tying it, say this, the Lord 
needs it. Those few verses right there, they have so much stuff packed into them that if we don't take the time to, 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 to dissect them and unpack them, Jesus makes His way to Bethpage and, and Bethany. And Bethany is an important village in the life of Jesus. It's where some of His closest friends live. In fact, it's a, it's a family. It's two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus. They live in this town of Bethany. And throughout the life of Jesus, Bethany has been a place of refuge. A place for Him to get away. A place for Him to just be among some of His closest friends. A place for Him to relax and recharge. And it's going to play the same role throughout the life of Jesus. Because He's going to enter the city today. He's going to enter the city tomorrow on Monday. And He's going to cause a tremendous stir in town. And then He's going to spend a day of quiet in Bethany reflecting and, and, and resting. And it's going to, to play that role for Him all throughout this week. It's sort of His, his base of operations. But as they are approaching the village, He tells two of His disciples, look, go into town. You'll find a young donkey, or depending on what your version says, it might say colt, it might say foal, but it's a, a young donkey that no one has ever ridden on. I want you to go get that, and I want you to bring it to me. Now, when you get there and you get it and somebody says, hey, what are you doing? You tell them the Lord needs it. And that's an that's a interesting phrase right there. The Lord needs it. The word Lord there in the, the text, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's kurios. And it's a kurios little word. And it means the owner of or the master of. And scholars tend to think that when Jesus told them to say the Lord needs it, they tend to think that that was a prearranged signal between Jesus and the owners of this, this colt. So that when they got there and they started untying it, they would say the Lord needs it and they would know, okay, I know what this donkey is for. That this donkey has but one purpose. It's not to be used to plow the ground. It's not to be used to transport people or, or items. It has one purpose and it is to carry Jesus into Jerusalem. And so they go and they're untying it and the caretakers step out and say, hey, what are you doing? And they say, the Lord needs it. And He releases the donkey. And it's also, I think we can probably uh, infer from this that it was, this was probably a disciple of Jesus or He wouldn't have let it go. And so they get the donkey. They get the donkey and they bring it back to Jesus. Verse 34, they said the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their robes on the donkey, they helped Him get on it. As He was going along, they were spreading their robes on the road. Now He came near the path down the Mount of Olives and the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And there's, again, there's a lot that's going on right here. In our day age, we don't think too much of donkeys, right? Uh, it's just a, a beast of burden. In fact, even when I say the word donkey, some of you, some of you chuckle. Shrek probably comes to mind for a few of you. 
especially if you read my Facebook post this morning. But it's sort of a joke. In fact, the donkey is usually the butt of the joke, you know, pun intended. Okay? That's what it is. It's a beast of burden. We just, you know, in 2015, there is just not a lot of use for donkeys in the United States of America. Yes or no? I mean, we, you might have a use for it, but, you know, your livelihood probably does not depend on it day in and, and day out. But during the time of Jesus, a donkey had tremendous value, but it also had tremendous meaning. And as Jesus is riding this donkey into town, He is making a very bold, very political statement about who He is and about what kind of king He is going to be. You see, during times of war, a king would ride a horse. And if you saw a king approaching your village on a horse, you would know that, A, we are at war or we are about to be at war. That was the signal. The king rode the horse during the time of war. It was the war horse. But during times of peace, the king would ride a donkey. And that would be significant. And so if you saw the king approaching your village riding a donkey, you would know that we're not at war because he's not riding the war horse. He's riding the donkey which symbolizes and so there he comes, riding on this, this young donkey. The disciples begin to take off the cloaks and they lay them on the ground so that the donkey doesn't even have to touch the dirt. The palm branches and they throw them on the ground so he doesn't have to touch the dirt. And they begin to, to cry out praises to God. Matthew records it saying, Hosanna. Luke records uh, from Psalm 118 verse 26 saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And what that psalm is, Psalm 118 verse 26, is it's a, it's a song of victory. It's praise to the God who has defeated His foes, who is establishing His kingdom, who comes bringing the peace of heaven itself to the people that He's coming into contact with. And so when the people see this event, they sort of recognize what is happening. They know what the prophecies have said. In fact, this is a direct fulfilling of Zechariah 9.9, which says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He is fulfilling a messianic prophecy as he is riding into town. And those that know the prophecy recognize this is... The Jews for years have been under the oppression of the Romans. Their taxation. Their brutal tactics. And when they see Jesus coming, they begin chanting praise to God. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. They are expecting the king, but they are expecting the king to come in and to overthrow and topple the Romans. To free them from this physical oppression. To free them from this, this burden of, uh, of, of extreme extortion and taxation that the Romans have put on these people. 
They are expecting the king, but they're not paying attention to the signs. Because Jesus isn't coming riding into town on the war horse. What's he riding? He's riding the donkey. He's riding in palms open, saying, I come in peace. They're waiting on the wrong kind of king. And as we've studied Scripture over the years, we have seen several times where people and disciples tried to force Jesus to be the kind of king that He didn't want to be. They tried to, to make Him this, this military leader that He had no desire to be, and every time He would draw away from the crowds because that's not the kind of king Jesus came to the earth to be. He came to be the king of kings. He came to be the, the prince of peace. And so, on the one hand, they completely miss what Jesus is trying to, to say to them. But on the other hand, the celebration is completely appropriate because He is coming, bringing salvation to the people. But He's not going to do it by putting the Romans to death. He's going to do it by Himself experiencing death. But this, uh, the, the Pharisees are watching what is taking place. And they are completely scandalized at what is happening in front of them. Because the city would be full. They are getting ready to set During past Jerusalem could swell to up to around two and a half million people who are making their pilgrimage there every single year to celebrate the Passover. Now then, Jesus has already gotten in hot water with the Pharisees. Okay? Because He has the audacity to, to teach in His own authority. Or do something crazy like tell someone their sins are forgiven. Or heal somebody on the Sabbath day. And so the Pharisees, they don't like Jesus. And they don't like what He's about. They don't like what He's doing. And when they see Him come riding into town on the donkey, they know the Scriptures too. And so they go to him and they say, hey, look, you've got to tell these guys to stop. You've got to tell them to quit doing what they're doing. Stop this, 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 this shenanigans that are happening. And it's for a couple of reasons. One, if, if Israel, if Jerusalem, the Jews, if they're trying to reestablish themselves as a, as a world power, the last thing they need is a messianic demonstration full view of the Romans. That's the last thing they need. But also, they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They don't believe that He is the Lord. And so they go rushing up to Jesus and they say, tell your disciples to stop. And Jesus answered in verse 40, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. What Jesus is saying there, and what Luke is telling us, is that God will provide a witness. Though every mouth be silenced, truth will not be. Truth will come forth, and truth will be heard. And so it's unmistakable what Jesus is doing. He is riding into town, not on a war horse, but He is coming in peace, and he is trying to show 
the people the way of peace, the way to, to live their life. And as he tops the hill, verse 41 says, as he approached the city, he wept over it. And you wonder what he's thinking about. I don't know, but I, I can imagine. I can imagine that the three previous years of, of, of ministry are going through his head. As he's thinking about all the, the people that he has come in contact with. The deaf ears that were open and the, the woman at the well. The demoniacs that he's healed, those that had leprosy, and he told them to go and dip, and they were cleansed. Maybe he's thinking about that time he visited that little town of Nain, and he healed the widow's son. Or maybe when he healed Peter's mother in law. But I imagine more than that, he's thinking about the religious leaders. Those who have worked so hard to keep people out of the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees that he has had so many run-ins with. As he's thinking about the hardness of their hearts, as they have turned people away. But he's probably also thinking about the people that have deserted him along the way because his teachings were too much for him to handle. Like in John chapter 6. And so he sees the city and he begins to weep. Verse 42 saying, If you knew this day what would bring peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. They're as blind as the religious leaders are. And then he gives them a dark prophecy where he says, Days to come, the days will come when your enemies will build an embankment against you. Surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children within you to the ground. and They will not leave one stone on another in you because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. You see, in about 40 years, the Jews are going to be completely fed up with Roman oppression and Roman rule and Roman taxes and Roman brutality. And they are going to revolt. For four years, they are going to fight against the Romans. Emperor Vespasian in AD 70 says enough is enough and he dispatches his son Titus to Jerusalem with the Roman army to crush and stamp out this rebellion for once and for all. And so this army, this mighty Roman army, comes rolling into Jerusalem, and for 143 days, they siege the city. Completely cut them off from the outside world. They burn the city to the ground. 600 thousand men, women, and children are put to death or die from starvation. And the temple 
that Jesus prophesied would be destroyed in Matthew 24, the temple is destroyed. Why? Because they did not recognize the time of their visitation. Jesus came offering them a different way of life. He came riding the donkey, showing them the way of peace. And had they chosen that way, their fate might have been much different, but they didn't. They, they ignored what Jesus was offering them. Warren Wiersbe, a Bible scholar, minister, great writer, he says that uh, he says no matter where Jesus looked, he had a cause for weeping. He says as he looks back, he sees a nation. He sees a nation who wasted its opportunity. They were ignorant of the visitation of Jesus. He says as Jesus looks within, He sees the spiritual blindness of the people. They should have known who He was. They've had the prophets for years and years and years, yet they didn't recognize Him. He says as Jesus looks around, He sees religious activity that accomplishes very little. Tomorrow, Jesus is going to change that because He's going to come back to the temple and He's going to take a whip and He's going to overturn the table the tables of the money changers, and He is going to drive the people out of the temple, and He is going to tell them, you are mocking My Father's house. You're making it into a mockery. You're making it into something that it was never intended to be. It's supposed to be a house of prayer, and you've turned it into a den of, of thieves. And then finally, as Jesus looks ahead, He could see the, the coming destruction because He knew the people would not heed his, his offer of peace, His way of life that He is trying to, to offer them. And so we see that Jesus had plenty of cause to weep. Because these were His people. This was His city. The temple is going to be completely destroyed. And His people are going to be decimated by the hundreds of thousands. And so we see the week begins on a high note as He comes riding in the town and they're saying, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one that comes in the name of the King. The one who brings peace. And yet it ends with Jesus weeping over His people and over the city of Jerusalem because ultimately they are going reject Him and reject His offer. And now we see why Luke's parable ties in with, with this story. And so as we begin this week ourselves, we would be foolish not to ask ourselves some questions. Not to look at our own life and to examine some things. And so as we take these readings and we go through the week as we move through Jerusalem and the city and, and, and Bethany and all of these different places through the temple, we would be remiss not to examine our own lives as, as we approach Jerusalem with Jesus. There are questions that, that should hang over our heads. Number one, are we, are we following along in hopes that Jesus is just going to fill our carnal and selfish desires? Are we 
willing to, to sing a, a, a psalm of praise to Jesus if He's the kind of Jesus that we want Him to be. Not the Jesus He came to be. And finally, are we going to be ready? Are we going to be ready to spread our coats on the road and to follow Jesus into trouble, into chaos, and ultimately to a cross? Because that's what He calls us to. He calls every single one of us to take up our cross and follow after Him every single day of our lives. You see, there are a lot of people that followed in the crowd like that. And we've seen it throughout the years as we've studied this, as we've studied the life of Jesus. There are people that followed along in hopes of getting something in hopes of, of seeing a miracle, in hopes of, of, of being fed, and they wanted nothing more than that. They only wanted to get something from Jesus. And He was glad to give it to them, but He wanted so much more to give them salvation and to give them peace. But they turned and rejected Him. And so are we just going to be people that follow along in the crowd just trying to get a view, or just trying to get a free meal? Or are we going to be disciples who follow along in the dust of the road that Jesus leaves, placing our cloaks down, saying, Jesus, I'm with you no matter where you lead me, even if it is to a cross. That's what calls us to. That's the life that Jesus calls every single one of us to. 2,000 years ago, the Jews missed their opportunity. They missed, they missed the visitation of Jesus. But fortunately for us, the offer of peace, the offer of hope, the offer of freedom is still valid. And it's, it's still available. And so if I was going to make a point this morning, it is simply this. Salvation is here. Don't miss your opportunity. You see, because just as Jerusalem was not long for the world, our world is not long for eternity. One day, time is going to end. One day, every single person, whether we think so or not, is going to stand before God in judgment. And what's going to matter then is not whether you seized on the right opportunity with your job or with your family or with your home with your money. What's going to matter is if you seized on the opportunity that Jesus offered you when He said, come. That's what's going to matter. And there are some that you've not taken advantage of the opportunity of Jesus yet. Salvation is here. Don't miss the opportunity. As we celebrate the King this week, I pray that these things will be on your mind as we move through these days in the, in the life of Jesus' last week on earth. And if you're living the way that you shouldn't live, take the opportunity and change that today. Just bring your sins back to the cross and say, here, Jesus, take it. I'm sorry. 
and He's ready to forgive. If you've not given your life to Jesus, you're in danger of missing the visitation, of missing out on the opportunity of Jesus, of missing out on the opportunity of being saved and washed from your sins, of missing out on the opportunity of an eternity in in heaven. That's what's available to you. And I pray that you won't miss an opportunity but that you'll confess Jesus is Lord and you'll be baptized into His name today. But don't miss it. If we can help you, if we can pray for you, if we can serve you in any way, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?